Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? You're trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, You could be right, but you're wrong. (laughs) Good morning, good evening, good night, entrepreneurship and leadership channel listeners on the New Books Network. I'm here with my business partner and friend, Kimon Fontakinas, and a very special guest, Samir Narula. Uh, Samir, uh, why don't I could introduce you, but why don't you do it the way you do it to a stranger um, or someone you met at a business networking meeting, and maybe along the way, say how we met? Or someone you met on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a that's a much larger longer story because I've met way too many people on planes that I've had uh, decades long relationships with. But we will go into that when we talk about entrepreneurship and and influences and so on. Um, no, thank you so much, uh, Richard and Kimon, for inviting me to this to this podcast. Uh, my uh, my name is Samir Naruga, as you mentioned. My, I live between Singapore, Helsinki, and Lisbon, and uh, uh, it's not just for tax reasons. I actually enjoy all three of these cities and there's a lot of activity and opportunities there. My background is, uh, my professional background is I'm an engineer by training. I'm an electrical engineer by training. And back in the 1990s, I wrote a thesis on voice over IP, which uh, was very opportune because it got me into the into the uh, the beginnings of uh, what became the telecom industry and then the internet industry and all the rest of it. I've had uh, the fortune of having worked with some some great people and some great companies in the U.S., in Japan, in Europe, in Central America, in India, Singapore, and now back again in Europe. Uh, and my work has primarily been around helping companies uh, unlock their potential using technology and uh, to think beyond their uh, their their traditions. Uh, the traditional source of of growth uh, towards uh, towards new ways of growing. So I worked a lot with SMEs. I worked with family-owned businesses, traditional businesses. Uh, and about over a decade ago, Alex Kumar and I, Alex was my business partner, started August Capital Partners, which became August One, which is what we're known as now. 
And uh, this is a, um, a private investment firm. We're effectively an embedded family office, but we invest with governments, universities, corporates, and, uh, and families in, uh, in technologies that can transform traditional businesses, now also in, uh, in projects within habitation, energy, and food that can transform our relationship with the planet and reduce our, our negative impact on the planet while increasing the positive impact on the planet. I hope that helps. Yeah, that, that's that, that's a good uh, overview. And to, and to give a sense of, I know obviously some might say, hmm, is uh, Samir an entrepreneur? Do you regard yourself, and I, I know, and even if you're not a classic entrepreneur because you're investing in businesses rather than running them, there was a lot about you that made me feel you'd be very suitable to come on the show. But do you identify as an entrepreneur or what's your relationship? What's your relationship with entrepreneurship? Yeah. So uh, when I fill out forms at airports, and, and you just mentioned that we have an American <laughs> image, so I'm a bit careful of what I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> believe me, we just have olive oil. We don't have any other oil. So please don't liberate us. Uh, but we, uh, I usually fill out engineer in the occupation section because I'm an engineer by training. My relationship with entrepreneurship has been a 360 relationship. I founded a few companies. Uh, the first entrepreneurial venture I did was when I was 13 years old. And uh, at, at engineering school, we started making laptops, uh, hand-making laptops and selling them. Uh, we started in 1999 or 2000. My roommate from college and I were in Washington, D.C. together. We started, a, uh, everyone was starting a vertical. We started a, a beer-related vertical because when you're in your early 20s, that's what, that's what um, is on your mind quite a bit. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, and then I started a company in 2005, which I sold before we started August 1. And August 1 is as entrepreneurial as it gets, because I think entrepreneurship, as you might agree with me, is, um, is the ability to take risks and to, uh, to uh, look at opportunities uh, where other people might not see them or might not want to exploit the opportunities. So August 1 continues to be an entrepreneurial venture. We're involved in every aspect of it, and we continue to deal with uh, with all the same uh, aspects of, of of business that someone who's starting a tech company or a or a lemonade stand uh, would deal with. Perfect. That's a really great answer because sometimes people, you know, business is an ecosystem of different actors, and we have we had a uh, Veronique, uh, the executive who leads. Argos on the show and she has a highly entrepreneurial career she didn't exactly found the company but she's she's risked her own capital she's uh built things up from very small oh, very small she's built things up in tremendously impressive ways and you can someone can be an entrepreneurial person because they have the characteristics you've described even if they haven't founded a company so so I'm Keeman, what I I feel I've talked I, I I've talked more than you. So do you have any questions? What oh, would you it's like only to just started. In? I mean, it's only just begun. But uh, I my I, I, okay. I'm gonna definitely. I have already a bunch of things, but I have to ask just before we get into the business stuff. You mentioned Helsinki, Lisbon, and Singapore. Those those are three. They I don't think they get much uh, dissimilar than that. I mean, what's the, the how, why are you living in those three places? And I'm just that just fascinates me just on a personal level, um, apart from the business stuff. Like what, what's the story behind those three places? Absolutely. So I think uh, if, we, if you use some of the word cloud that you just used, right? So on a personal level, business level, uh, dissimilar uh, attracts you, fascination, all those things combined together are, uh, are, are the philosophy of August 1 and my philosophy in life. And, and that is really that 
um, that uh, we do things no matter what we do professionally and for business, everything starts out being personal. And for us, our business is personal. And that's why I said we're a family, we're a family firm. Uh, so Helsinki and Portugal and or Liz, uh, Finland and Portugal and Singapore are of course port cities, right? They're all port cities, right. they're major port cities. In the Black Sea, it's uh, it's Helsinki. Uh, it used to be St. Petersburg, but there's a small little incidence going on in I that. Th part I think I think I think you mean Baltic Sea rather than Black Sea. Uh, Baltic Sea, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I keep being told that the Baltic Sea, the 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 Baltic Sea will be the next uh, Mediterranean, which is unfortunate. Um, but uh, on the other side, with uh, with Portugal on the Atlantic and with the Azores Islands that belong to Portugal, it's a major NATO area. It is a major port, which government of Singapore runs, PSA runs the port of uh, of Senish in Portugal, like they do 66 ports around the world. And Singapore itself is also a port city. So there's a lot of things that are common. They're all international cities in their own way. Lisbon a lot more now. We've got, uh, we've got um, um, English and Polish people moving there, as you know, from this call. And then we've got uh, we've got a lot of activity there. So from uh, the attraction to Helsinki for us was I, I'm a 90 day fan. You can you can see my flag. I carry it with me. Uh, I'm also uh, in in Lisbon where we have a fund with the government, uh, one of the government entities, a joint fund. We have uh, we've invested with the government of Singapore for over a decade. So the idea was that it's uh, more interesting for us to be in in uh, areas where uh, there is a new there the potential of that place is getting realized now. Uh, mm. And plus, on the personal side, I like the weather in in Portugal. I like the grit, the culture, and uh, Lapland in in Finland. Finland's an incredible, incredible country with amazingly entrepreneurial people. Poor country that's now become one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And Singapore, I have a long relationship with my family does as well, and it's it's one of the most international cities on the planet. One, I would say, I would wager, it's the best managed countries in the world, <laughs> and. And it's certainly uh, it's certainly a uh, an incredible place to do business as well. That's that's really that's really cool. I mean, it's just it's just so diverse, right? I mean, I, I just find that to be really interesting that 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 that's the three places. So <clears throat> the thing that like sparked the, one of the first things you said uh, in in just in the intro when you were talking about yourself, uh, or when Richard asked about being entrepreneurial, I want to hear about the thirteen year old. Uh, uh, I, I love to hear. We love to hear the roots. Like, what was the what was that? Tell us about that for because it's kind of funny because not not everybody does stuff like that. So it's just kind of funny to hear about it. Uh, but I do. We do find that people who come on uh, often have this story <laughs> that they did something when they were young. So I would love to hear about that if you could share a little bit more. Yeah, no, it was um, it's actually I don't know if you guys are comic book readers, but uh, sure. I, I see them. Yeah. Uh, and when I was uh, when I was 13, we had just moved to New Delhi from Bombay. And this is, of course, New Delhi, India, not Texas. And, <laughs> uh, and I was uh, I was really uh, I had a really good group of friends and we used to read a lot of uh, Enid Blyton and we used to read a lot of uh, a lot of other mystery books and we loved uh, comic books. Uh, the problem was in India that uh, we didn't have a lot of comic books from abroad because we were still a mixed economy and it was still uh, uh, very, we had a lot of Russian uh, Russian books, which were great as well, but we didn't have any a lot of uh, books from the West. So all our friends who had comic books, we would share with each other and we would swap with each other to read them. And we realized that it was better for us to start a library uh, that we could uh, then charge people to access the library. So we started a library mm. in the garage of a friend's, uh, a parent's friend's uh, garage. Um, and then we realized that, you know, we could probably make some of our own comic books. 
So we started hand drawing comic books and we found out that in school, uh, we used to call it, uh, well, it was a Xerox machine, a uh, photocopying machine. And we would photocopy our own work and we would make comic books and we would uh, we would uh, loan those up. So it was quite interesting. It wasn't as scalable as, uh, as businesses need to be now to be successful, but it was quite fun. And uh, no one, no one uh, tweeted anything negative about anyone else. So, you know, <laughs> that's cool. I thought you were going to actually, I, I, that story took an interesting turn. I thought you were going to say you were um, like a collector because, you know, that's also sort of entrepreneur you could buy and sell. There's a, there's a lot of money. I thought you were going to go that way with it. I didn't expect you. You're actually going to develop your own comic book. <laughs> that's really, that is really entrepreneurial, actually. And 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 what ha what happened to the business? Because I I I, I sometimes I, I my first business where well, I think when I was eight or nine years old selling sweets and I uh, in my school because the people who lived there weren't allowed. There was a boarding school and and I was a day boy and so they they didn't have access. It's a kind of like uh, <clears throat> not quite smuggling into a country, but there there was a. Uh, a tariff, not a tariff, a quota of zero sweets for the people who lived there, and I brought them on the on the on the premises. And I sometimes wonder if I'd met someone who told me about warehousing, cash and carriers. I could have made so much money because I was buying retail and marking up. That I did 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 that business die out, or did you sell it to someone? What or how did it end? And also, what did your parents or your relatives think about the fact you're running the library? What was your family's reaction to your side project? So I think the uh, so I think the answer to that question lies in the question. So what happened to the business was the parents, and they realized that uh, that we were making spending more time doing this comic book stuff than actually doing our homework or or doing other things that we should be doing. And uh, and so I keep telling my mom I could have been the next uh, Pixar if it wasn't for her. <laughs> uh, but no, it was I think what happened was really I mean these things fizzle out right I mean it was uh, it was a great experience and it also comes back to the point of money where not every business is started for money uh, and right. in fact I don't think we've ever started a business and it's ironic I'm saying this since we are a regulated fund manager I've ever started a business for money I think we started for uh, for things like uh, which I think we've talked about a bit in the past where there are different motivations for happiness in life and for us it's an Epicurean motivation where we do these things because we want to. We want to work with people we, we care about uh, and do things with, with people who care about us. We want to do things that are meaningful, that we feel uh, fulfill our potential as human beings. And we want to have peace of mind. We want to have calmness. So our objectives are always very Epicurean in businesses. And I think that first comic book business met all three of those. That's interesting. So I have to, I mean, I actually do want to ask more about the your other business history, but maybe since you just started this, the family, so it's like a family, you're calling like a family office type investment. How in, are you guys very involved? Like how, because I've seen, we've talked to a bunch of people and whatever, I've talked to a bunch of people. This is done in lots of different ways. Like how hands-on are you, how hands-on would you say you guys are um, in the, you know, it, since it's like you're choosing stuff that you're interested in or the people you're interested in, does that mean that you want to be more involved? You want to work with these people? You want to be involved in this business or is it more you're just you, you care about this subject or this topic and you want to and you believe in this and you think it's it's going to help the world so you're going to invest in it well how, how can you talk a little bit about that of course uh, and i'm assuming the listeners are are aware generally about the different investment models that exist but i'll if it's okay with you if you indulge yeah, me please I'll, do please I'll, do so if you look at it from a spectrum of risk taking on the investment side uh one end of the spectrum is an entrepreneur which is 100 percent risk 
you're basically going in and you're not just investing your money, you're investing your time, personal relationships and everything. So your skills, your opportunities, your network and your capital is being invested. The other end of the spectrum would be, I would say, would be a consultant, right? So effectively, you're coming in, you're getting paid for the hours you're doing or the work you're doing. You're not really, you don't have skill in the game. You're not really incentivized by uh, the upside, but certainly not hurt by the downside. And everything else falls in the middle. So when you look at investment firms that are uh, that are private equity firms or venture capital firms, or even for that matter, public market funds, they're driven by two, two types of cash flow. One is fees that they get for managing the money for other people. And the second is a, a, prof, a percentage of the profits they generate for their investment, right? So that's on the professional investment manager side of things where their job is managing uh, other people's right. money. Uh, on the other, uh, slightly on the other side of the spectrum, closer to the entrepreneur lies the family office or the individual investor. So when uh, when Richard invests or you invest uh, your own capital, you're investing in things where you don't just bring them capital. You want to also have some connection to it. You want to we want to know that uh, this is an area we believe in that can either further our strategic interests, or familial interests, or our personal interests. In addition to that, we are also there to uh, to offer skills, and we're there to offer our network and certain opportunities that we can create for them. So that's on the family side. Now, within the family office, when people say family office, uh, multifamily office or family office, they typically mean they're a service provider to those family offices. Our situation is different. So we are similar to, um, and when I say we, it's 10 different families, five core families that are active and five that come in on opportunities that we invite them in or those are appropriate for them. The idea is all of us um, are have known each other for, for decades, if not generations. We're all families that have similar objectives. Uh, we're all about the same age. Uh, Alex is slightly older, but the rest of us are about the same age. We all uh, are technically trained, uh, most of us. We all had uh, other jobs. We built businesses. So our objective is that instead of giving our money to someone else to manage only with a monetary outcome, we would rather manage this money for outcomes for the planet, for our families, for ourselves. So when we are managing our capital, uh, to, to answer that question, it depends on the type of investment we're making. But typically, we would not, uh, if you're doing a venture capital style investment where the government is our co-LP or has invested with us, then our involvement as a minority investor will be limited to governance, supporting the, the founders and the company in what they're doing, and also in terms of, uh, in terms of making sure that any opportunities that we can link them up with are linked up with them across our portfolio. If it's an investment where, for example, a real estate investment that we make, where we want to grow, uh, we want to create, I'll give you an example. We're trying to build these zero carbon uh, communities in rural areas in Europe to revive the rural areas with regenerative farming around it to reduce, uh, to not just reduce carbon emissions, but to stop, uh, to stop uh, forest fires, because in Portugal, it's a big issue, and to create food forests that can reduce carbon from a supply chain perspective. So this is a very involved project. It's a passion project for all of us. So in that, we will do as much as I, I, I drove three hours to a, to a village to visit a, a site with the architect, wow. we did it ourselves. Uh, we will also go in, I mean, I'll give you, we, we own some assets where our team has gone in and fixed, uh, fixed things themselves. My, one of my first investments was a company in the UK that was a, a beer company, uh, appropriately enough. And I've uh, delivered kegs myself, I've installed taps myself. So we're very hands-on when we need the to beer, be. The beer is a sort of a running theme in your life, I see, in your investment career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it moved on to wine. Uh, but, then, uh, but I think the, the, uh, the answer to that question would be that where, uh, where involvement is required, we're involved. In general, we're caddies, right? We're not the golfer. We'll help you put the ball on the tee. Right. We'll help you 
Sure, if it's your company, but if you're co-founding the company, so for example, we're spinning out a company from a massive, uh, we're helping a massive food, uh, family-owned food company in the Nordic spin out a new company. And we will be involved in staffing it. We'll be involved in being uh, involved in governance, with supply chain, with everything. That's what keeps us uh, excited and wakes us up in the morning. So basically everything. I mean, you guys, it sounds like you guys do all aspects. It's not, it's, you're not limited. It's like, it really just depends on the investment. Some investments, you're more active and some investments, you're less active. Can you just talk a little bit about the family? This is very interesting because, uh, yeah, I'm just interested how it works. Like, so if you have these family, like how, how do... How, do you guys have a mandate of, of the things you, you should be looking to invest in? Or is it uh, is it just, you know, I, I mean, what, what what's the system? Like, I guess I'm just wondering the values of the family and these things that these family that people want to do. How does that get incorporated into your into your work or into the work of the, the office? Yeah, so I think the uh, so a very good uh, question in terms of the mandate. So I would say that I would I'll I can I can quickly share our vision with you. So what is our vision as a firm uh, till twenty twenty six, and then also how uh, what seems so dissimilar dissimilar and so uh, a multitude of things that seems like uh, how are they tied together? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I think our vision uh, or our vision in, in general is to be financially and environmentally sustainable as a business where everyone gets an opportunity to unlock their personal and professional potential. So that's really our vision. And our objective out of that is to be financially viable while generating uh, uh, while generating wealth for uh, for the families and for our team uh, and helping them uh, uh, further their personal objectives. So it sounds very general. The way we do that is, we invest in three areas now. So we focused a lot of our attention on habitation, energy, and food. And we believe food binds the other two together. So your source of food, your supply chain of food, your production of food links habitation and links uh, energy as well. Uh, so those are the three areas we invest in. In terms of asset classes, we're quite uh, we're quite open. Venture capital was, attract, uh, was attractive for a long time because to be totally honest with you, money was free. And uh, uh, and also the governments had a big incentive to uh, uh, to encourage innovation. So we had asymmetric upside deals within with governments where we would put in the money, they would put in the money, and then the, uh, on the downside we take the same risk as them. On the upside we get their upside as well. Uh, I can go more into that if you like. But basically we had an, a magnification on the upside where it was asymmetric upside to us, mm. and on the downside we share it, which is very attractive. On um, on the private equity side, uh, we are big investors. We are investors in search funds. So search funds are, uh, I know Richard, you're aware of it, and, and Kimon, I'm sure you are. They are effectively, um, uh, let's say, three of us are finishing business school, and we say we don't want to start a business because we don't have an idea, or don't, we don't want to go down the cycle of starting something brand new. But we don't want to join a large company. So what we would do is we would get together and raise some money to give us some time and, and some resources to go find a business to buy. Because there's a lot of businesses in Europe, in the US, in Japan, and in India, and other large economies where there's no next generation to take over. Or these are businesses uh, in uh, in smaller towns where the, the jet set don't want to live, although everything's changed after COVID. Uh, and these are typically profitable businesses, which are in, I mean, they might be making uh, fragrances and essences, uh, and they're based in Zouk. Or they make parts of velos, uh, bicycles, and they're based in northern Italy, but they do 30%, 40% EBITDA. So we're able to buy these and then scale them. So that's the second area, which is, again, SMEs, everything linked to small and medium-sized businesses. On the uh, on the real estate side, I call it real estate, but real estate is just a side, uh, a side element of it. The reality is that habitation is... Um, 
habitation, food and energy are massive carbon uh, emitters on this planet. And I'm from New Delhi, where, uh, where pollution is not just something on a fancy report. You step out of your house and you can't breathe. So it's right. uh, it's something that really drives us. Uh, and as families, everyone has their own interests. They have their philanthropic interests. They've got their own businesses. They've got other investments. But this is what binds us together. So we have a council where we get together every two weeks on a Friday, now virtually. We discuss ideas. We dis discuss deals. We discuss what side we want to go to. Our offices, our, our team members tend to be also uh, folks who are very, very supportive of, uh, of sort of our way of working, which is, a, uh, which is eliminate anything that's not needed, automate whatever we can, and then delegate whatever else we can. So, so that's the, uh, the background of it. I don't know if I answered your question or if I did a mini TED talk. Here. No, really, really good. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, that's, it's really interesting. What's the size? Like, I don't know what the check size or do you have any or can you share? How big? If you're investing in SMEs, I guess that they're you know you're looking for you know it's a smaller. I mean, it's not the huge size, but I mean, I do have. A, can you share anything about the size, the scale of it? Absolutely. So that varies a bit as well. And I'll, after this, I'll also mention a metaphor or analogy that can be used. But on the venture capital side, our checks can vary, have varied in the past between two hundred fifty thousand euros up to two million euros uh, per check. And uh, uh, this is from the funds. And now we have a fund with uh, with one of the government entities in Portugal. So in that we do up to half a million or so per check. Mm -hmm. uh, on the on the real estate side, uh, it's it's a relatively new area for us as August one. Uh, we've done it on our own, of course, oh. as different families, mm -hmm. but it's a relatively new area. So that will become quite significant and uh, in terms of the actual deployed amount. Um, my my understanding is with the projects that we're aiming for, we should be investing just on our own about 50 million euros in the next uh, in the next three years with, uh, and we'll be about 30% of the total investment. So about uh, 150. And then um, in terms of uh, other search funds are obviously smaller investments until they pop into a company that we can buy. And we always co-invest. So we never invest alone. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's what it sounds like. And it sounds like one of your, you also government, you like to invest, we've got, you, you've found a way to invest you I guess you found it lucrative to invest. Like you gave the one example. I was that in Portugal where you had the upside without sharing the sorry, you you got the upside and it, they didn't you didn't share the upside, but you shared the downside. Was that I'm not sure which government you did that. Was that in Portugal or is that in somewhere else? Yeah, so fortunately, it's the opposite. We we uh, yeah, actually, you're right. So we we don't share the upside with them, but on the downside, Asu, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Uh, on uh, it's the same with almost every government we worked with, uh, with okay. Singapore, with uh, now with Portugal, and hopefully in in the Nordics as well. The um, it's not just a financially lucrative aspect of it. It's also that governments tend to have usually the same agenda that we do. So they have the same agenda in terms of policy to reduce carbon emissions. Right improve uh, community uh, uh, situation, but we tend to be able to do it a bit more efficiently when we are partnered with them because we are not restricted. And I'm not saying it's because of any other reason, because some of the government people we work with are incredible, incredible people who we continue to be uh, friends with and partners with uh, years and years after we work together. Um, but uh, I think one of the other reasons is that they have many other soft resources that uh, that don't often private companies don't often have, and they have a longer time horizon where they can work a little more uh, a little deeper. So we right. work with that. Uh, that's on the financial incentive side. We do co-invest with all the other families, and whenever we invest in a in a country where we're we're new or where we in a sector that we are not completely uh, familiar with, we will bring in a local family in that business or in that space to co-invest with us. 
because we we uh, value their uh, uh, of course their skill set and their their history in this. And to be honest with you, they also end up being great uh, resources for us to exit these companies. To sure. Local mm-hmm. local contacts. I'm sure yeah. that's viable. Do you find that the sorry, Richard? One last question because now I've been dominating. Uh, do you find that the governments are uh, like I would imagine that there the down there'd be a downside. There'd be like like bureaucracy and paperwork. And is there is that or is that something you get used to, or is it the same, or is it just not a factor? Or yeah, it's a very good question. So I mean, obviously, it varies by government. Singapore government is more efficient than any corporate I've ever worked with. And- <laughs> They are. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. I would say uh, by far. Uh, I used to work for GE a long, long time ago, and government of Singapore is more efficient than General Electric was even in its. <laughs> so Singapore is a pleasure to work with. Uh, there are other restrictions here that come from uh, that come from uh, Asia and history of Asia and, and our backgrounds here. But having said that, they're a pleasure to work with. We learn a lot from them. We contribute a lot, hopefully, uh, somewhat to them as well. Uh, Portugal, the government has been absolutely incredible with us. There are certain agencies who shall go unnamed who have been absolutely a, a, a bit of a nightmare to work with, but uh, uh, but the government in general has opened its uh, has has really been very welcoming. We were actually invited in by uh, by the the Ministry of Foreign Affairs through the embassy here and through the uh, through uh, uh, through ASEP, which is a trade agency, and they've been incredible in, in connecting us with anyone and. Uh, really, we we actually enjoyed being there. Things are slower than Singapore, but everywhere is slower than Singapore. So it's been um, it's been that experience. Finland continues to be amazing. Uh, we worked with the Dutch quite a bit before. We were in, we were we had an office at the Delft University. Uh, Japan, I know quite well, and and Japan was have been they were very friendly with us as well when we worked with them. Now you have to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. I grew up in India and I went to school in France and in and in the U.S. Yes. So compared to those places. Uh, yes. This guy's amazing. Right? Well, no, I mean, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah, but he's just ticking off the list of the best, like, you know, you add in the Netherlands in there and, and then you, you're just like mm-hmm. the best places. You, you, you forgot Switzerland. I'm sure Switzerland is pretty good, too. Uh, you know, and uh, so, yeah, it's 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 also you're choosing good governments to partner with. I think that that also uh, you you mentioned your Indian background. Are are all the families Indian? Is there a sort of because to have that level of trust between different families? You say known for multiple generations. It sounds a little unusual because families can fall out, and you know just just because in your setup, everyone certain families can have a good generation, and then sometimes the kids get spoiled, and not sometimes, often the kids get wrecked by the parental wealth and stuff like that. So, can you talk a little bit about the sort of I don't know whether it's ethnic or geographical or or connections, the historical connection between the families, because it sounds sounds a little unusual to me. At least I haven't come across it before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of it goes back to Kimon's point of, of self-selecting as well. Uh, so we have the freedom of, of self-selecting, of course. The second thing is, you know, ethnicity, religion, race, nationality, gender has not, linguistics has not been a basis of our connection to each other. And uh, it's, uh, it's a multi-ethnic group, multi-religious group, multi, unfortunately not as multi-gender as one would like it to be, but uh, but it's a, it's a very what the Americans would call call diverse set of group from a uh, from a visual perspective, but certainly a diverse group of people from a, a intellectual perspective and a uh, a philosophical perspective, which is what we care more about. To be totally honest with you, uh, and that's a massive strength for us. And one of the reasons that this also works is because uh, obviously there are families that fall on fall out within themselves, the second year second generation curse or the third generation curse. 
The difference here is that um, it's, uh, it's, you know, how they say family is given to you and friends are family that you choose and who choose you. So this is a bond of friendship and it's a bond of, uh, of people who actually care about each other and want to work with each other. And, you know, all of us have lived in, I've lived in 13 countries. Most people have lived in multiple countries. And, and frankly, today, to a large extent, the dis distinctions between people are not so much um, vertical as horizontal. So it's so more socioeconomic than it is, uh, uh, than it is ethnic or linguistic. Uh, and, and I hate to quote Friedman, but the world is really flat in that, from that perspective. The other aspect to remember is that uh, a lot of this money is not generational wealth. So it's wealth we've created. So for example, the uh, the money that I invest is money I generated. It's not something that I I received from my father or from my, you know, from my family. So similarly with the other folks who are investing, it's not really uh, family assets that they're, they're investing. Some of them have their own family offices, very, very substantial family offices. But the, this is capital we've decided to invest together. So it's self-selecting, one. Mm -hmm. Two, what binds us is the fact that we choose to work with each other. And uh, third, the fact that we share uh, the objectives that we have. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's shipstation.com with the code POD. Okay, so, 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 and that's very, very, it's very important to understand. So it really is values and personality based. Um, and it, it all, to some extent, and you're extremely eloquent and you present things so smoothly that uh, in my experience, quite often in life, if things seem too good to be true, there's something wrong and, uh, or not there's something wrong, or maybe it's not the whole picture. And, it's almost like it sounds so good that it seems too good to be true. And so does have things ever gone wrong or if things, and I'd be amazed if they don't, if they do go wrong, how, what's your process for sort of firefighting and, you know, where there's a major cock up and someone yeah. goes, I, I just you talk through how you deal with problems and what, 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 what maybe a, a nice vivid example of a big disaster. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think uh, just on the a priori, right? So on the fact that if something seems too good to be true, uh, it's usually too good to be true. Uh, I, uh, I I appreciate the, the cynic aspect of things as well, right? Uh, having said that, uh, sometimes we also manifest uh, problems. 
So I think a lot of times, you know, when there are, uh, of course, everything uh, for every good, there is a there is a so-called bad, right? For if we didn't have darkness, we wouldn't appreciate the light. So that's true. Mm-hmm. Having said that, um, I think the fact is that if there is a lot of expectations, you end up uh, getting into into conflicts because we keep expectations very well defined and low. Uh, between the families. So I'll address it at different points. So has anything gone wrong within the families? Second, has anything gone wrong with the governments and other partners? Third, has anything gone wrong wrong in investments overall or in business? Is that okay? Yeah. So on the, uh, and this is very important and it's good for me to talk about this as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's uh, how should we call it? Uh, radiotherapy. Um, in terms of, uh, for, your, for your younger listeners, radio used to be a medium of communication. <laughs> so I would say that uh, uh, from a family perspective, uh, what does happen is there are people who flitter in and out where they get busy with other things. People have kids, people have you know travel, they get busy. So sometimes people disappear and then you have to call them up and be like, man, can you please show up to the next thing? Or uh, uh, or they'll say, yeah, yeah, count me in, I'm in. And then they're off for two months to California and you're calling them up and being like, hey, we got to do this thing. Can you transfer the money in? Or can you actually sign the documents? So these are some things that you're actually hurting cats sometimes. And because no one reports to anyone, it's not like I'm anyone's boss per se. Well, not among the families or anyone else is my boss. We, it tends to be that uh, that bond of friendship that binds us together. So it's exactly the same as if you're investing with your brother or your friends and you want to do a deal, uh, what goes wrong is that not everyone has the same sense of urgency sometimes. So that's on the on the family side. That's why we do funds as well, where people put in money and they've committed to it and we draw down capital. Um, the second level with partners. So what happens with partners is that, um, especially government partners, because our objectives from a high level are the same, but they don't often want to be the bad cop. So we have situations where we're shareholders and the government is supposed to be a bit more active. And we're going through this right now somewhat. And the government says, look, our objective is to generate jobs and to have new companies being founded and uh, for these KPIs to be checked. So we don't want the company, you to be an activist. We don't want you to go and ask for audited reports and ask for why this, this accounting line does not uh, relate to this other line. So a lot of times our incentives, and also because for us it's our capital and we have uh, somewhat shorter time horizons and we need return on investment, whereas they don't necessarily need return on on invested capital, they need uh, returns in different ways. So our incentives sometimes get misaligned. And that's when we end up being the bad cop and they're the good cop. And as a VC, as you know, you can't afford to be a bad cop. You just have to constantly keep saying, no, everything is going to keep growing and all the values are going to go up and you know, all the other rest of the other nonsense. So for us, unfortunately, we are unable to do that because uh, this is real money that people have earned and we put in there. So we tend to be very active. So on the governments, that's sometimes a disconnect with the governments. Uh, We've been able to deal with it because we take a larger picture to it. And uh, and Alex gets more involved in that situation because I'm a little too blunt. So it's it's better for (laughs) Alex and, and Anki and the others to get involved. Uh, on the company side, on the company side, the challenge we found recently is we really like uh, uh, startups. We really like technology's ability to change the world. But we're also very cognizant of the fact that um, there is, there has been over the last 20 years, way too much capital uh, chasing not enough uh, gravitas, not enough sort of volume. And often working with governments with asymmetric upside, your incentives get skewed, 
where you want to deploy as much capital as possible. Because if you look at it, it's actually an options trading game, right? So if I'm going to have an option on buying you out at cost, I'll invest as much capital as possible. Then I have a 30-70 deal or a 50-50 deal. I put 30 cents in, you put 70 cents. If the company doubles in value, I'll buy your 70 cents at, let's say, 70 cents. And if the company goes down, I lose my 30 cents. So from an incentive perspective, I'm incentivized to deploy as much capital as possible. But we were zero fees and zero carry for eight years. So for us, going uh, uh, for us, the whole idea is that the company uh, needs to make money as well. Because as the manager, I get paid if the company makes money. So there's a bit of a misalignment in terms of the model when you're using government money. And that's why we're sort of moving away from purely the uh, the uh, financial incentives from governments while keeping our relationship with them because it helps us access some great opportunities. So that's where the um, some of the, the challenges come in. Uh, I mean, having said that, it's not kryptonite. It's uh, uh, it's uh, it's something that we can we can deal with. You know, it's, it's something that we we uh, it's just you, it's life is not a train journey, right? Surfing trips. No. So. What about the third category? The like the investments that have gone wrong. If you try to select, like, because I think people learn a lot from mistakes and failure. Quite often, they say no, <clears throat> failure is yeah. the best tutor. Um, if you wanted to share that there's any common patterns or a nice vivid example of an investment where basically the company failed and you know you should have seen it beforehand but you didn't and or or, or whatever just take us through an example if you can and if you need to slightly anonymize it for the sake of the you know the sake of the poor guys who who took a company to destruction you can somewhat anonymize it if you prefer yeah so i mean i'll start with the with the concept of the poor guys who took the co company to destruction right so typically what happens is it's not the poor guys who took the company to destruction it's typically the the guys who became relatively wealthy but the company went to destruction so that is where our problem comes in if it's the poor guys who took the company to destruction we can handle it we understand it because uh, not everything in life works right majority of things don't work uh, otherwise we would still be fish in the ocean right we wouldn't have evolved so the idea here is that uh, uh, I'll, I'll, when we look at a trend, so I'm okay with companies that fail because you know that this thing has failed, you move on. I'm okay with companies that succeed because you know there's an outcome. The worst companies are zombie companies. And typically zombie companies are companies where uh, you'll think that, and, and I've had zombie companies in the past where you feel like, okay, I've gotten this one deal. I can keep going. I really don't want to give up because there's the, the sunk cost fallacy. And then something else happens and I go, my God, why did I leave my job? I should have just done that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I could have been driving that car that that uh, the Goldman guy drives. But at the same time, the idea is that a majority of the companies that haven't made it or investments that haven't made it, they tend to, sometimes it's just, you know, it's bad luck. I mean, regulations changed or, or uh, a small pandemic started or something or the other. But oftentimes, it's basically the uh, the founders did not have the um, the resilience or uh, the uh, the self uh, the self confidence to communicate what was happening. So people either tend to hide, and this comes from ego. A lot of times, these are founders who've been in large corporates and made enough money, and they just don't want to uh, they don't want to admit things are going wrong. They don't want to show you their accounts, so on and so forth. Or there is arrogance saying that, oh, I'm, I've done a few TED Talks and I'm on the cover of these magazines and, and I, how can I be wrong, right? Um, but I think it's usually the issues we faced are we chose the wrong people and we chose them because the product seemed too attractive or the geography was so exciting that, oh, this will definitely work. So we chose the wrong people for whatever reason. 
you know it's it's just usually that and then i take full responsibility for it when that happens it's, it's very interesting that you this word ego crops up again and again and I, w- I was teaching last sunday at a business school in poland and i do a survey of the students of the class before the class asking them what they want to ask me and I, I don't know many other lecturers who do that but it's and a lot of them wanted to know lessons of failure and like what I would do differently and I just took them through how much my ego and inability to admit that I was wrong cost me I actually gave an example Keeman helped me I would that do you remember that wireless broadband company Keeman where I was bailing it out every month and you came along and said Richard you're going to run out of money if you because I couldn't face yeah I don't, I don't remember I mean I remember I don't remember but 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 the point anything the point, that I did but <laughs> the, the, but one of the, but the, the well, you you gave good advice. You gave, you, but it was the fact that I didn't want to admit to myself it was going wrong was costing. Oh, me. Oh, maybe that's know. what it was. You just weren't yeah. like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. I, I, I sort of remember I, now. Yeah, I, I know, you know, if you if you're ready to put extra money in at the end of every month, it can mask a failure for a lot, for as long as you've got money. And any anyway, but so you take responsibility, but the responsibility is choosing people who turn out not to have the right level of resilience and too big an ego to summarize what yeah. you said. It is interesting, actually, Richard, even that example, and I don't actually even remember that company that well, but, but I do think, and this may, and this may be something that Samir is also like, I actually think the idea that you had to said the, the idea of that company at that time was actually really good. I, I suspect now I hope that the people who did it aren't listening, but I suspect it may have been the people and the execute, you know, it may have been actually the thing that Samir just said, it's actually the people, because you were in Poland, it was an up and coming, and you were putting up masks for broadband at a time when there weren't any. So it was like a really good, it seemed like a really good idea. Uh, and it was technical as well. And, but it didn't work. So, you know, gotta, you gotta, you, I wonder now that just talking to this example there, that it, it wasn't actually the, uh, exactly what Samir is saying is it wasn't a people issue. I mean, but it's interesting. Very, yeah. sorry. I was just going to say that whether it succeeds or fails, you you always wonder with success, was it brilliant leadership for an average idea or was it just such a good idea that even average leadership <laughs> could make it happen? Or was it just luck? And when it's failure, was it the wrong market, the wrong time, the wrong people? And like you're always puzzling. But I don't think it makes that much sense to analyze. The, no, analyze. no. But in that particular one, I mean, when I just think back on it, because I'm totally looking at it now completely like from a distance, like, uh, you know, from a distance and, it's like on paper, it should have been really good. <laughs> no, no, but but I, I think there are companies like Trafigura and Glencore who stand between the big producers of metals and the big consumers of metals and commodities. And sometimes being the little guy between the giants can be incredibly profitable. Other times you get crushed. Yeah, you don't want to be between people who manufacture, make bulk foodstuffs and Tesco or Walmart because <laughs> you're, you're a tiny, there's, there's no space for you. And we were between the big manufacturers of telecom equipment, you know, the, the masks and the radios and big telecom operators. So in fact, the, the people in the middle got quite squeezed because, you know, there was, but sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Right. And, and, it, and, it, and it was probably the people <laughs> and I don't thank you I doubt thank you <laughs> and I don't and, and I hope they don't listen to this podcast <laughs> anyway um I'd like to we've had entrepreneurship through acquisition a couple of times we've had two guys who came on the show who bought companies as individuals 
but not so much a search fund. And when we were on the when we met on the plane, you talk you were talking about opportunities in the United Kingdom to do paradoxically to do with Brexit as the as the country disconnects from the world the European economy or compared to previously. Could you just talk through the sort of deals you're looking for and um, why why in the context of things going wrong there's an opportunity because sometimes finding an opportunity in a negative situation is 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 quite a rare skill yeah so i think this this ties very very well with what you asked earlier right in terms of uh, failures or, or things that don't work and there's a beautiful poem by odin nash which is uh, about success and i won't recite it but effectively uh it's about saying that uh if you've always succeeded you never learn what leads to your success but when you fail you're able to, uh, and if you're able to be self-aware and reflect on your failures, you actually can learn from it and you can actually use that to your advantage. And it's the same thing with, uh, with the word ego, right? So we take ego on one side and we take vulnerability on the other. So if you're able to be vulnerable and self-aware and be able to say that, look, uh, uh, these are things that, uh, that work and these are things that don't work because look, I'm no guru, right? I, I don't have my own podcast. I haven't written a book yet on this. I, I will write one on the philosophy of food, but nothing on this. So the idea is that we also don't know. We know what we know. We know what we don't know, but we don't know what we don't know. So I'm learning every day. We're also, I'm also hopefully evolving as a human being and as a person. So with that, we typically have been excited as a group in uh, uh, contrarian ideas. So we like opportunities that I started a architecture design and engineering company uh, that was uh, uh, that was actually doing projects in, in India and in emerging countries and outsourcing to the US and Australia uh, and Europe in 2005, because we felt that there was an arbitrage to be made there. And instead of us being the back end of some designer in, in Europe, we would be the front end and we would outsource the the front the uh, the design bit to them and pay them a portion of the of the revenue. So typically, we've learned from opportunities in a tabula from a tabula rasa perspective. No a priori, no other. Uh, uh, we don't take any other sort of uh, clutter, and we try to go in fresh. And this is something that's helped us. So when we looked at the UK, actually three years ago, the government of Singapore, four years ago, the government of Singapore gave us a grant to go and set up an office in the UK. This is before the great disaster. Um, uh, I'm not talking about uh, about uh, uh, about the new prime minister. I'm talking about the Brexit, right? So I think the uh, the for, from the government side, they wanted us to set up an office there. The free ports idea was going on. And we started looking at the UK and we realized that it was it was a bit slower than what we're used to because we were small fish in a big pond. There were so many other people there. So we ended up going to Scotland, which was amazing. Edinburgh University has been incredible, uh, great partners for us. And then Brexit happened, then COVID happened. And ironically, we started realizing that there were all these family businesses that we were connecting with because before we go into a country, we connect with government, university, family, and corporates. And all these family businesses were going through this uh, issue where they couldn't export to the European Union anymore. They were making great products. Like they, uh, there's a cheese company we looked at in Lincolnshire. We looked at a company that makes speciality women's garments. We looked at a company that makes children's biscuits. And they were not able to export because of all the red tape that had come in and the, uh, and the ambiguity of, of trade across the channel. And all they had to do was form a new entity in Europe. We prefer the Azores Islands because it's part of Portugal, 13.8% tax. Uh, it's beautiful. It's uh, midway to the U.S., and they could then access the European market. And there were enough European grants and enough European support where you could put up a plant or you could put up a team in, in Europe. 
So we were looking at search funds in general, and we were looking at assets uh, at, at companies uh, uh, in particular to buy. And we thought this was a great opportunity. The challenge we had was getting someone, uh, an MBA from, from London to move to Lincolnshire to work in a cheese company is a very difficult thing to achieve with a 25 or 30 year old, right? And uh, although we have friends here that run massive private equity funds, they bought a factory where they send drones to do due diligence during the uh, during the the pandemic. But for us, it was it's really about the people. So how do you get the right people to run these businesses? And that brought us back to search funds with a vengeance, saying that it's not the opportunities that are that are missing. We see enough opportunities. It's not the capital. The capital's still there. It is the skill set and the people that you need who will be able to make this happen consistently, resiliently, ethically, and with the same mindset uh, as uh, is uh, or the same values as we have. So that's why we went back to search funds for uh, for Europe and for the UK as well. I hope that answers it. Yeah, I love that answer because I it it it, it, it you know it's, I basically totally agree with it. You know, and, and it, just a couple more adjectives like grit and determination of those people, because I, you know, and I think when you were just talking about maybe the failure, uh, failure of the people, I mean, you, you sort of, I, you somewhat alluded, may, and maybe I just read into this, but you somewhat alluded to some, maybe, you know, somebody, they, they made their money or they were self, but, you know, at the end of the day, you just need to want to do it and do, and like, just be committed. You know, you're going to be, there's going to be sunny days. There's going to be rainy days. You need to show up every day. Basically, and those are the and that 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 piece. I've always found that piece to be people are spoiled. <laughs> Let's be honest, and yeah. we get spoiled. No. I mean, like I'm spoiled. I'm mean, what I'm just saying. Like we, when I say people, I mean we all can be spoiled. So, um, you know, but ha having that determination to wanting to continue doing it is yeah. And the the, 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 the reservation I've got about search funds, and and it's not a reservation backed up by any data, but. If I look at people, younger people who do MBAs, you know, they work for McKinsey, they work for Goldman Sachs or one of the other famous companies, Unilever maybe, and then they think, I want to, I'm going to get an MBA and then I'm going to do my next step with a really enhanced CV. But then quite often those people haven't had the experience of yeah. running a business. And I... I, I learned slowly by doing, and I still don't think I'm very good at it. Keeman was better at it um, also, but also learning by doing of sort of running the business step by step. But if you're a pro, you, and what we've both learned is it's very often much better to bring someone in who's got experience, who's done the thing you need to do. And I, I wonder whether the people who set up search funds are the right people to be running running businesses and i and it's a genuine question and obviously search funds exist and i always say reality is a very the fact that if i did understand it then the problem's with me not with reality so do you find the people so you're you're working with search funds because you think the people who set them up are capable people to be running the the cheese the cheese company in lincoln or what or whatever is that is that is that your thesis yeah yeah, so I think this brings it back to the same point, right? So selecting people and being able to uh, to identify, uh, and, and uh, Kim and you used a very good word, grit. There's a book by Angela Duckworth on this, and resilience is a synonym for that to a certain extent. And then also Simon Sinek talks about it, right? Now, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll use his story, like, uh, and I was talking to someone recently who's a very, very pro-Russia person, because I live in this part of the world. And uh, and basically, they said, oh, you know, the, no one asked the Ukrainians why they're fighting. And I said, well, the answer is quite simple, right? If they, they stop fighting, they don't have a home anymore. If the Russians stop fighting, we are back to peace. So the reality is that there's an infinite game that the Ukrainians are fighting or the Vietnamese were fighting or, or whoever else, where they are actually fighting because they have no other option. 
So a lot of times uh, the incentive, uh, the person you choose, you are choosing whether to buy a business or a, a company that you're backing the founders, the question is, what is their incentive to do this? And there is a misalignment because venture capital funds have uh, have uh, have uh, timelines. And so do public companies have to report every quarter. So if you're driven uh, primarily by giving results in a certain period of time, there's a different kind of person you have to choose for that. I'm not saying good or bad. It's just a different kind of person you have to choose. Uh, and if you're driven by something that's a long-term cash flow business, which given asset prices today and given interest rates today, we'll move back towards more and more. You have to choose a different kind of person who might not be able to give you returns every quarter, but in the long term, they have to be able to deliver uh, deliver uh, uh, an upside to you one way or the other. And that's why I said when we are the reason we like working with governments and family businesses and working with universities is, is because the time horizons are longer. But at the same time, we get to take shorter term returns as well because of the asymmetric upside. But at the same time, where we want to be long term, we can be long term. And we are moving our business towards search funds because of that. Now, selecting MBAs or younger or people who don't have work experience, you know, this is a tough one because sometimes uh, you want someone who comes in without any baggage. You want someone who's never worked in a, uh, in, in a, uh, in a Coca-Cola before but understands how uh, branding works or how uh, you know how how uh, mindsets work because they bring in new energy because if you if everyone in the same room is thinking the same thing no one's thinking anything michael dell used to say that so i think some of it is saying that okay what are they driven by and is that consistent with our uh, our investment thesis and our time horizon so when we we are looking at found web searchers, we're actually creating searches, right? So we we encourage people we know, we encourage people in the families, we encourage people in businesses we know to say, look, why don't you look at another company, uh, at a company to buy, and we'll support you on it. And that's something we've been talking to Nova Business School in Portugal and speaking with uh, uh, with the Hochschule Saint Galan. I I, I do a I do a short uh, lecture every year at Hochschule Saint Galan on entrepreneurship through acquisition, where you want people coming out who have some experience, maybe with a family business. Or having done uh, having done operations is a great one. Having been in logistics and military, we have a great search fund in France that we support, where he he's an absolutely brilliant operational person, and his partner is an amazing finance person. So I think it it really depends. You know, there's no one size fits all, and for us, it's very bespoke. So we go company to company, individual to individual, and that's that's we that's how we like to do it. It's not scalable, but it's fun. <clears throat> Yeah. What, yeah, I'm just thinking about that. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about education and how um, and what actually what you think about it in terms of like and how important that is. How, like what weight do you put? Like do you want that MBA or how, like, or what are you what are you looking for? for because because I actually do agree. With, I think it comes down to the people. But now what's your profile of the person? Like uh, uh, actually, I'm curious what. Yeah. <clears throat> We had a, a so we had a we spent a, quite a bit of time trying to figure out the thesis on search funds a few years ago. So we spoke with NCR. Uh, I spoke with uh, with Phil uh, with uh, with with the dean there. We spoke with uh, with IE or uh, ESA. We spoke with Columbia Business yeah. School. Yeah, with everyone. And you know the the thought process is that uh, it's the MBA is not really the classes you take or the courses you take. I mean I don't remember anything out of it, right? Mm -hmm. But. It is really the network that you form because a lot of this is to do with clusters. You know, there's this whole theory of clusters. Uh, mm -hmm. And there are schools that are successful with search funds because the searchers share deals with each other. 
there are certain schools that generate the kind of entrepreneurship that is needed to buy a traditional business and run it. And they are not the same schools that you would think of for uh, for entrepreneurship education. So I had I went to uh, I had a class in entrepreneurship at Columbia with Professor Amar Bide, amazing guy, teaches at Harvard now. Uh, he's still a good friend. And he first thing he used to say when he came into class is, how many of you think this class will make you an entrepreneur? And most hands would go up, of course, <laughs> some people variants like me, so I didn't put my hand up. And his response was, well, then you're probably in the wrong place because I've been teaching this class for decades and I've never founded a business that's been successful. So he said, uh, to be a successful entrepreneur requires being a successful entrepreneur. And I think that's that's something that is really, really true is that, you know, if you look at most people who've been successful entrepreneurs, you've got all these, and, and we tend to be biased towards American entrepreneurs who founded tech companies in the last couple of years, but companies that have existed for, well, in Japan, there's a Ryokan that's been around for 800 years, I think. There are companies that make sauce. There are companies that make, make you know, as I said, bicycle parts. There's a company we saw that makes flavors and essences. They've been around since 1932. They've been around since the 1800s. And they still sustain. And they people get jobs. Their homes are, are built. Their kids get fed. Everything is working. So I think it depends on, um, uh, on various other factors. Business school just tends to be, or education just tends to be a, a platform where people get to meet each other. Now, this will change. And I've started realizing it. I was, I was, uh, uh, I'm too frugal to get a personal trainer, so I was, I work out with YouTube, and I was thinking about it. How much YouTube has changed my life? It's the one technology I would say that's made a fundamental impact on giving people the same information and the same resources that in the past you would have had to go to a Harvard or, or a Cambridge or a, or a Stanford to get. I have a team in Bangalore, and I am constantly amazed at them. And now with Chat GPT. And yes. we they are setting up companies and yes. bank accounts for us at 2,000 euros where the, where the, in Finland and in other countries where lawyers are asking us for 120,000 euros. Sure. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's no, but now, but like now you're coming back to like the essence of what I'm really trying to ask is so like, what is it? <laughs> and this is the essence of the podcast. This is the question of the, why does even podcast exist? What is it? Because it's, because you know we can learn by ourselves. Good it's business incredible. school MBAs. I think we agree. It's awesome for your network and like being able, obviously knowing rich people, knowing other successful people. That's always going to be useful and helpful in business. But I'm talking about what's the essence yeah. that makes you like with the actually that you're going to take that business that whatever it was sense business mm -hmm. or the cheese business and what is it about you that's going to make that thing really successful i mean that that's that's, that's my that's what i love to what do you think it is it's incredible so i we're getting towards the end of our allotted time but if someone's listening and thinking this is a really interesting organization you're a really interesting guy both of these things i i believe to be true if someone wanted to do business with you either they're an entrepreneur and they might want to join the family or they're a, a young man or woman who might want to or old who wants to come and work with you or for you uh, be a partner or someone with capital who says can i co-invest what what are the right ways to engage with your organization because you're not that big are you you probably don't have an hr department screening application maybe you do can you just talk through how, how people can engage if they want to in a, either as an investor an employee or an entrepreneur yeah no so uh, so we punch way above our weight for what we what we have but uh, uh thanks to technology again i think uh i think the the answer to 
to, well, actually the answer to each one of those points is different. So if it's a family that wants to engage with us, uh, typically most families uh, know each other. So they would know someone we know, but they can reach out to us. They can look me up on LinkedIn. They can look up Alex on LinkedIn. They can reach out on a website, which is conveniently called august.one. Uh, and uh, we have a rising stars page, uh, which is not that active, but for uh, for younger individuals who'd like to work with us, who'd like to apprentice with us, we have an apprenticeship model. We don't have an internship model. And typically people would come to us, work with us for two years. And then at the end of the two years, they have the option of either staying on uh, if things work out or they want to start a business, we'll back them. They want to join one of our companies, we'll back them. They want to do a search fund, we're very excited. So uh, those are the ways we work with, uh, with, uh, with talent. In terms of uh, in, uh, folks looking for investments, I think the, the best way to do would be to go through our website or just reach out to us through through someone we know, because we are uh, we've we've seen that uh, the rate of success of interactions we've had through warm introductions are significantly higher than those that just come in cold. Um, yeah, but you did catch me a bit off guard with that because we're horrible at marketing ourselves. That's okay. Well, that, well, well, you're you're coming on our podcast. I notice you have a bit of content. Well, I'd, I'd love it if you could, after this, share with us any links of things you'd refer to that Ogden Nash poem and you know to the different places so that people who want to follow up can. Is there anything we haven't asked you that you think is important about? entrepreneurship and leadership that, that you can share and I, we could probably talk for another three hours on the, the plane ride we, we had quite a longer conversation but is there anything else you think that people ought to know that you haven't had an opportunity to share that's that's important or a closing thought yeah I think well so this is uh, uh with regards to what what came on you mentioned just just uh, just a few seconds ago um, you mean before Richard shut me down it also relates to timelines really right so it's uh heidegger who's one of my favorite philosophers unfortunately was a bit of a nazi but uh, he was one of the greatest philosophers of the of, of the previous century and the uh, his uh, basic thesis was that time is very important right and which connects to why richard also uh, curtailed our our uh, conversation today i would imagine <laughs> The idea is that time is very important. Every hour, hour of your life is an hour of your life that you're sharing. So the fact that both of you are willing to share an hour of your life with me this morning for you and this evening for me, I have to respect it and I have to value it because that's an hour you've taken away from other things, from from kids, from you know other things. So, uh, And from that perspective, when we look at our families and everyone we work with, we consider it from that perspective. It's um, it's 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 similar to the uh, to that uh, to that infamous or famous picture of that little blue dot where we're just a little speck. Our lives are are really very short, so anything we do, we should we should do with the with valuing that time, not just our own time, but the other person's time. Um, and what we take away from every interaction is up to us, right? So I think there's uh, there's there's enough evidence to show that uh, three people who have exactly the same experience have different takeaways from them. And that takeaway is what makes you what you are. It's not what you experience. It is what you took away from it that makes you who you are. And our objective as a firm is uh, the Epicurean objective, as I mentioned, we want to take away, we want to take away peace of mind. We want to, we want to work with people we care about and we love, and we want to do things that are meaningful so that at the end of life, it's not uh, how much money you made, but uh, the memories you can look back to that were that were fun and 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 happy. 
Well, that, that's fantastic. Before I ask Kimon to close, I listen to a lot of podcasts and many other podcasters encourage listeners, if they like the uh, episode, to subscribe on uh, subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening so you don't miss future episodes. Subscribe to our newsletter, to which there's a link in the show notes. Also, give us a five-star review or like us on your different channels if you enjoyed this. I think this has been an amazing episode, and I really appreciate that random connection, and we're definitely going to meet when you're next in Lisbon. And, uh, Kimon, I'm going to hand over to you to wrap up. Richard's going to kill me. I'm not doing any closing. I'm just going to ask you I want the one thing. Give me 30 seconds on the philosophy <laughs> of food the philosophy of food 30 seconds is an hour later <laughs> the, uh... he's not he's gonna shut this down too come on give me a sec give me a, let's hear it i want to hear it. it's what he's going to write a book on it's what he's interested in so food is the only thing that connects the external to the internal it is the blood of Christ. It is the body of Christ. It's the prasadam in, in Vedic philosophy. It is the bread that you break with your friends. It is the wine that you share. It is the uh, the, the mugs that you clang together, coming back to beer, which is our, our uh, initial, uh, initial uh, theme here. And it is one of those things that connects us to the earth. It connects us to the water, the air, and to the fire. And it is the one thing where our soil is being lost, and it's it is the reason why we are uh, uh, our health is being lost. Uh, our gut bacteria impacts our minds, our emotions, which impacts how Mr. Putin reacts to different situations. So I think uh, I, so. Not to uh, uh, not to stretch it out too much, but food is the most uh, integral part of the human experience. And if we are not able to understand how our relationship with food is, uh, uh, links us to our relationship to the planet, to each other, to community, to society, uh, we are doing ourselves a disfavor. So that's something I'd like to understand more and allocate a bit more time of my life to, uh, going back to the, the, the theme of time of life as well. Have you ever read The Omniverse Dilemma? Absolutely. I've read Cooked. I've read uh, Your Mind Plants. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Michael Pollan. Yeah, I like it too. I like the topic as well. I think, and I agree with you. I think it's really interesting, but let, we can leave it at that. We can leave it at that. But uh, yeah, it was really great to meet you. I enjoyed the conversation. You know, thanks. Thanks for everybody for listening and uh, see everybody next time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.